be 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our thoughts this morning. Heavenly Father, I do bring our thoughts and our considerations, Father, this preparation of your word to you this morning. Father, we trust, Lord, that you will have prepared this word and you will minister this word. Father, through me, I ask that you would anoint my heart, anoint my words, anoint the hearts of your people who receive it, Father, that we might receive it as you would have it to be received, as a blessing and as an encouragement, as a Eternal food even, Father, that we could grow and deepen our faith and deepen our understanding of you. Help us, Father, to come away from here satisfied that you have been honored and we have been fed, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. This passage here, I imagine, as we can, well, I don't know if you sit and ponder the things when we open up with an opening passage, you might sit and just have a brief thought of where is he going to go with this today? What are we going to consider today? Uh, This might automatically advance this. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Let's just go ahead to the next next verse, next slide, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, You might consider to yourself, where is he going with this? And so as as you look at this opening passage that we began with, where it speaks of praying for those kings and all who are in authority, you might think, well, 2024, this is an election year. Caucuses are getting ready to take place and all of this and that. So probably he's talking about, well, the election that's coming up. No, that's not at all what I'm talking about this morning. So you can put that aside. I don't know, maybe some political thoughts or hints might come out. I'm not sure. I don't try to be political. As a matter of fact, I try not to be political, but, well... Politics tend to find their way into certain considerations, but uh, this is that time when we do often consider this passage, when elections are to take place and new presidents and leaders and authorities are going to be put into place, but that's not what we're considering. Uh, This morning we're considering that second part, well, what you are reading right there. Uh, I was just giving you the context in regards to how this is presented, but we're going to focus on this piece here. Uh, This last part of the second verse where it says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And particularly what we're going to focus on are those two highlighted words there, peaceable and reverence, and how those things come together, how those things relate to one another, because they do indeed relate one to another. We're called to these things. We're called to... Seek a quiet and peaceable life. Some measures of a quiet and peaceable life are not promised to us. Some absolutely can be found. It's a two-part situation there. But certainly godliness and reverence are ours to lay hold of as well. So we're going to look at how peaceability, a peaceable life and reverence are married together and pursue this thing, how we can pursue this that the Lord has for us. That's our exploration uh, for this morning. Now... We're going to understand how, well, how these things relate, how a peaceable life or the peaceable portion of that life marries together with reverence. You have to understand what they are. So, peaceable or a quiet and peaceable life, it refers to tranquility. Tranquility of a couple of different types. Let's talk about those for a minute. That we might lead a tranquil and peaceable life, a quiet life. This word quiet 
specifically in this passage here. Uh, It slips my mind, but I believe this is the only time that this specific word is used in Scripture. Uh, It speaks of a quiet that surrounds us, a tranquility that surrounds us. Uh, One of the dictionaries that I look at in understanding the words that I um, that I find in Scripture is by a man named Vine. It's an old dictionary. Uh, it's been expounded and edited a number of different times. But how he presents it there is that this word, well, he describes it as tranquility that is without. Tranquility that arises without. Not in the absence of something, but on the outside. Outside peace. Seems like this word, well, its root is found in the word that is translated most often in Scripture as wilderness. Or, well, something you might see in this, in this slide that we see, this background. Uh, one of the things that I miss most about Colorado is the opportunity to head 30 minutes to the west and be up in the middle of nowhere, you know, up in the mountains. And sometimes, you know, you hear me say it often, uh, there are times when I go to places and I just think to myself, it's a little too peopley here for me. Not that I don't like people, but I don't like peopleiness sometimes. There can be a too abundance, a, a too great an abundance of people. And sometimes there is just a real joy and a satisfaction and a calm and even indeed a tranquility that comes with being where there are no other people, there are no other things, there are no other distractions, and there are no other pieces of stimuli that are there to uh, to take my consideration and my thoughts one way or the other. I enjoy being alone, and perhaps you do too. Uh, Superman had a fortress of solitude, didn't he? For you comic book folks, way up in Antarctica to get away from everything. He went out in the cold. Uh, We don't need to necessarily take after Superman, but it's just understood that sometimes solitude is, well, something we enjoy, that tranquility that comes. Now, in our lives, that tranquility that is without Tranquility on the outside can be impacted, you know, by a number of different things. You heard all the prayer requests that are here. The McIntyres are having their tranquility impacted by lack of water. They couldn't do anything about that. They didn't know what was happening. Hannah's dealing with a lack of furnace, as are we. You know, there's just a certain thing. This was working just fine on Friday, right? And we come here and it's not working today. Our quiet, our tranquility can be bumped just a little bit by things on the outside that are, to a great measure, out of our control. On a global scale, three years ago, we were all impacted in our tranquility by a virus that came in and the certain responses that we had as a result of it. Uh, On a personal scale, your tranquility... What's going on around you can be impacted by individuals, can be impacted by your work, can be impacted by a number of different things. Someone comes and attacks you, insults you, offends you. Well, they're looking to impact your tranquility. Tragedies and issues can arise for us individually. This quiet, this part of a quiet life is nearly entirely outside of our control. Tranquility that is without Uh, You can run from things, and you can find yourself up in the mountains all by yourself. But eventually, eventually, um, well, for most of us that aren't living up in the mountains, tranquility without is nearly entirely outside of our control. There's nothing we can do about it. We don't live in solitude. So, quiet is what we pray for. Quiet is what we hope for. Quiet is what we go to the Lord for. Uh, And, well, if he allows it to be so, we thank him for it and go on. It's not promised, however. 
This outside quiet, this tranquility without, stands in contrast to this peaceable peace of life. Uh, This Greek word here that's translated as peaceable, it carries the meaning of, as Strong says in his concordance, of keeping one's seat, of sitting still. It means to keep your place. It means to be unmoved despite the circumstances. Some years ago, uh, we went to the American Royal uh, Rodeo. And it takes place every year, right? So we went there, and of course, you know, being in my early 20s, I wanted to ride the mechanical bull. Uh, another guy named Bobby, he rode at the same time. You know, I won't dime him out and embarrass him. But yes, no, Bobby, I am diming him out. Bobby rode the mechanical bull as well. We got video of this, and the whole purpose of it is to sit up on top of that mechanical bull. Uh, having never been on one before, holding on for dear life with no talent, no skill, while the person spins the joystick and does their best to send you off of it. You know, it's, it's trying to keep your seat, you might say. Neither of us did, did well because we got tossed off of that. But Vines describes this peaceableness, this keeping one's seat or place, as tranquility from within keeping your seat despite the tranquility being gone without, keeping tranquility inside despite chaos taking place all around you, you might say. We see this word elsewhere, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, it gives, well, Peter gives kind of a confirmation of this meaning when he talks about, well, when he uses this word to talk about wives in particular, Uh, It just confirms that inner peace, that inner tranquility that is present, that is arising from within, uh, despite what might be going on without. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, Peter uh, exhorts the wives, do not let your adornment be merely outward. It says, New King James Version, you might see it in italics there. Uh, It was put in there for understanding. I think that it's correct. He's, He's speaking here, don't just focus only on the outside. There's no not necessarily wrong to be, well, to take care of yourself and to present yourself in in a presentable manner. But don't let it only be that. Don't let that be your focus. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, he says, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, and here's our term, quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. A gentle and a innerly tranquil spirit, a tranquility that arises from within. Peter speaks of the importance of what's going on inside there, what's going on with the inner peace of the white, where the, of the wife, where that inner quiet spirit resides. That's where we find tranquility within. That's what a peaceable life is. Despite the chaos going on outside, which is not our control necessarily, which we don't have a great deal of impact upon, and it's trying to impact us substantially, tranquility that arises within helps us to keep our seat despite that. Uh, I think of those keeping on the rodeo thing. I think of those people, it's, I don't even know what they call it these days, but I've seen a number of videos where people are sitting there at a table in the middle of an arena, where the, where the bull is released and they're sitting at a table, I don't know, pretending to hold cards or something or playing poker or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've seen it, but they're sitting there and the whole, <laughs> the whole game is to sit still uh, while the bull is charging and running all over the place. 
And the whole game is to keep your seat despite El Toro coming over here trying to, you know, just send you up into the stratosphere. And oftentimes he sends a number of people into the stratosphere, but you're to keep your seat. A measure of tranquility within, if you will, despite the chaos that's going on outside. Tranquility within is very much within our control. We don't always have a say of what's going on outside, but we certainly do have a say of what's going on within. Psalm number 56, verses 2 and 3. The psalmist says, My enemies would hound me all day. That's an, well, that's a, well, that's something that address or that impacts our tranquility, doesn't it, from the outside? My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. You know, we don't have people holding swords at our throats. We don't have people threatening our physical well-being, perhaps. But certainly we have people impacting our emotional well-being. The world can come and fight against us, certainly. And that's a lack of tranquility without that the Lord allows sometimes. We can't necessarily stop it, but we can respond to it very well. He goes on in verse 3. And he says, whenever I am afraid... And that happens when, well, when our enemies would hound us. Perhaps we do find fear. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's where tranquility within comes. That's where it's found, is faith. Faith and trust in the Lord that despite the chaos without, the Lord has promised he'll care for me. The Lord has told me indeed that I am well able to go up and take the country and possess the land from Jordan to the sea. He's told me this, and he has laid that out there. And despite all of the lack of tranquility on the outside, I need not be moved. I don't have to leave my seat. I don't have to stand up and and run for the hills when my enemies would hound me all day, and there would be those who would fight against me whenever I am afraid. And that's a natural response. To be moved emotionally, to be bumped just a bit, to have our needle shifted. Well, in that time, I need to remind myself. I can trust in him, and I will. It's a determination on our part. Paul told the Corinthian saints, we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't necessarily look at the chaos astir. We look at the Lord. Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith, we understand. He's the one who creates it in us. He is the one who finishes that faith. But it is our choice whether or not we walk in that faith and allow him to finish it to the measure that he wants to. God gives us that liberty. Proverbs chapter 3, that familiar passage that we consider often, we know by heart perhaps, he gives us the liberty to choose, to decide if we're going to do what Proverbs 3 says, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We don't have to do that. We have freedom. So many people... (laughs) So many people cry out for the need for us to have our freedoms. I I have my rights. You have your right not to trust in the Lord. You have your right not to have faith in the Lord. He gives you that prerogative. Well, take your liberty to trust the Lord when he tells us, well, that we can trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in pieces. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Saints, one of the things that drives me crazy that can kind of set me off a bit is when I don't know where I'm going, when I'm lost. I'm super grateful for GPS these days. I'm exceptionally satisfied, but I oftentimes fixated on streets, street names, that sort of thing, because I hated not knowing where I was, knowing that if I had car trouble or something along those lines that I wouldn't be able to let 
someone know where I was at. In the old job, I hated being lost. I was lost a couple of times. <laughs> a couple of times when I needed to get somewhere fast. I never enjoyed that. When the Lord directs our paths, when we trust in Him and lean not on our own understanding, we aren't lost. We can know, we can keep our seat and know that He's directing us in the path that we're intended to go. Uh, we can trust Him. He tells us that. And what we choose to directly do, what we choose to trust in Him, what we choose, choose when we choose to have faith in Him, no matter what's going on outside, it directly impacts that tranquility within that we're called to seek and pursue. When we choose to trust in Him and have faith, knowing and believing that He can finish us, He can direct us, He can lead us, He can strengthen us for all the things that He directs us in, well, peace comes. Tranquility arises within. You will keep Him in perfect peace. The Lord will indeed keep Him in perfect peace. Peace, peace, if you look in the Hebrew, whose mind is stayed on you. How come? Because He trusts in you. And you'll keep Him in peace. I like how it says peace, peace there. That could in, in, going along with our context, peace on the outside and peace on the inside. Perfect peace. Peace times two. Peace squared, whatever you want to say. He will give us peace all the way around uh, as needed if we trust in Him. Um, well, I mention oftentimes, I listen to Christian radio from time to time when I'm in my truck or going someplace. I see so-called, so-called Christians, I'll say it that way, I see so-called Christians on protest lines standing up and protesting certain laws or certain politicians and lawmakers. I, I see people who, who claim to walk under the banner of Christianity, not acting very Christian in those situations. I've seen Christian and, again, so-called Christian media outlets where I listen to what they're crying out. And listen to what they're calling out. And listening to what they're telling out and preaching out. And listening to what they're demanding you and me as Christians. What they're demanding from us. And I can tell you, I don't find a lot of peaceableness in them. I don't hear a lot of inner tranquility. Tranquility within. I don't see that peaceable life in them. And they're crying out and standing, uh, standing for these things that they're demanding us to undertake as Christians. I see a lot of unrest there. I see a lot of worry and anxiety. I hear a lot of, without you, without your dollar, without your vote, without your this, without your that, we cannot accomplish. This ministry can't go on without you, without, well, the efforts and the backing and the support and the legwork that you do. Without you, this cannot happen. And perhaps they would say, well, it's understood that God is the one that we're trusting. But I don't hear that. I don't hear the peace that comes from saying, we trust in the Lord to give us everything that we need. If you want to take part in that. First and foremost, you pray. After that, as the Lord leads, by all means, if you want to contribute, contribute. I don't ever hear it presented that way. Do you? Maybe I'm wrong. But I hear a lot of people under the banner of Christendom, of Christianity, saying, we need your money or this ministry will not go on. Saints, the Lord doesn't need my money and he doesn't need your money. And if he wants a ministry to go on, he can suck every penny out of that and that ministry is going to thrive. He'll do it by, the, well, by whatever means he determines he will. There's a certain measure of peace that should come from that. There's a certain measure of tranquility within that should come from that. Understanding that. 
Uh, certainly, certainly we trust the Lord. Certainly we understand that well, we need to keep the lights on. We need to keep the furnaces fixed. We need to keep all of these things taken care of. And I'm grateful for the natural provision that we see pragmatically coming through offerings and, and people's work and all of those sorts of things. But does he need that? No, he doesn't. He doesn't need that. And that gives me peace in knowing he doesn't need me. <laughs> he doesn't need my resources. It's my gift and my privilege to offer those things. And I'm thankful for that. It gives me peace that I can trust the Lord who can overrule all of these things. Now, a peaceable life is not often what's on display in those ones who look for natural means and natural provision uh, in place of God's provision. And in doing so, well, you, you, you lose a measure of reverence for God's sovereignty. You lose a measure of, I'll even go so far as to say, Dignity. I have a lot of respect for different ones, and I've listened to a number of different pastors and preachers on the radio over the course of the years. I've had a lot of respect for different ones. I don't always agree with everyone that I hear, but there are a couple of them that I'm like, I really like what he has to say. And then they go and they present themselves and ask for money and even go so far as to beg for money and limit the Lord's provision. And I lose respect for them because it's not dignified in my mind. It's not... Christian dignity, the way that it's presented. Uh, There's a reverence that's lost there, and that leads us to that second half of our equation that we looked at in our opening passage there. We're intended to lead or to pray that we might lead a quiet and peaceable tranquility within life in all godliness and reverence. A peaceable life with tranquility within despite what's going on without. And that's characterized by godliness and reverence it speaks of the reverence here of one who is godly and peaceable it speaks of the reverence that characterizes that one now if you look into this word reverence carries the thought of gravity it carries the thought of seriousness it carries the thought even of nobility Uh, the king james has it presented as honesty in all godliness and honesty and it is There is honesty involved, but that doesn't encompass everything. I looked at a number of different translations just to get an understanding and a feel uh, so we can understand what it's talking about, about this reverence. The Bible in basic English presents it so that we may have a calm and quiet life in all fear of God and serious behavior. Amplified Bible. That outwardly, it presents both outward and inward peace. That outwardly we may pass a quiet and undisturbed life and inwardly a peaceable one in all godliness. I like how it presents that. And reverence and seriousness in every way. Darby says that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all piety and gravity. There's a weight to it. There's a heaviness to this. And the English Standard says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. Now when you read reverence, certainly we want to understand that we are called to be reverent to the Lord. As our master, as our father, as our almighty God. We understand this. But you see that there's an impact on us. There's a presentation that comes from us that isn't just, isn't just speaking of God's reverence and our looking at His sovereignty, but a dignity, an outward manifestation, an outward attitude that comes in having a quiet and peaceable life. You know, some people just have a certain something about them. 
Perhaps you've heard that French term, and I don't like speaking French because I don't speak French, and I sound silly doing it, but there's a certain je ne sais quoi about something, right? Do you know what je ne sais quoi means? You've heard it before, but do you know what it means in English? It means, I don't know what. Literally, it means I don't know what. Mana means what is it, right? The word mana. Je ne sais quoi. There's a certain, I don't know what about this guy. You know what I'm saying? And that fits, right? We say it all the time. He just got it, right? Man, she's just, there's something about her that she just walks in a a room and captures the room. There's something about him that, I mean, if he's 6'6 and and, and 250 and stacked and ripped, you understand what he's got. You know, you understand, you know, the guy's imposing and, and that sort of thing. But sometimes there are people that don't look like much. But once they start talking or, or, or just, just their manner, something about them just has a, they carry themselves with a measure of dignity. Something, well, I don't know what, a je ne sais quoi, if you will. Whether it's charisma and wit and humor and all of those things, or just dignity. Dignity, according to Merriam-Webster, is a formal reserve or serious of man- seriousness of manner. That goes along with this. It does. That presents itself in that reverence definition that we, that we considered. Formal reserve or seriousness of manner, appearance, or language. Cambridge says it's a calm, serious, and controlled behavior that makes people respect you. I wouldn't say that it necessarily makes people respect you because I've seen some dignified people that absolutely had no respect in the eyes of a number of others. Um, But we'll get to that in a minute. Dignity is something. This reverence that the New King James presents, that's a a desirable quality, I would say. It's something that we should have. It's something we should desire. I met a... uh, I don't know how to describe him really. He's kind of a, a renowned personality from the Kansas City area. If I said his name, you'd recognize it, and I'll share it with you later on if you want to, but I don't want to just float it out there into the universe. But uh, I met him one time, and, and he's, again, well-known in the KC area, and I always had good feelings, good connotations in just how we understand him and know him as a TV personality, radio personality, that sort of thing. I met him one time, had occasion to meet him. And I talked with him, and in less than five minutes, I turned away, and I didn't want to say another word to him. Uh, because this one who I held a measure of respect for, just in looking at him from the outside, and maybe it sounds judgmental, but I'm okay with that. As soon as he started talking, he was so foul and just so off color to someone that he'd never met before, that I was like, Oof, he's, he's not my people. He's not, he's, I'm not interested. There's no dignity there. All semblance of dignity was gone. On the other hand, there might be a president of the United States that I absolutely don't agree with his policy, his politics, his stance of certain things. But, well, they might carry themselves rather presidentially, right? There have been a number of times where a president that I wouldn't have necessarily voted for, you might say, puts themselves or finds themselves in a situation to represent our country before other foreign dignitaries or in in certain other global events where I'm like, 
Uh, that's, you know, he's carrying himself very dignified, carrying himself in a manner that's respectable, with dignity. And you might even go so far as to say that you have a certain measure of patriotic pride in those moments, even if you don't necessarily agree with everything that, that he goes with. I've had opportunity, and so have you perhaps, to interact with different people who have no social standing, nothing by way of finances, even if it's absolutely zero. Homeless people I've encountered and had opportunity to converse with and the like. No natural capability, no health, no ability in themselves physically. And I've been absolutely overwhelmed sometimes by the measure of dignity that they carry themselves with, by the measure of nobility that they carry themselves with, even though one would look at them from the outside and say, they've got nothing. They carry themselves with a certain measure of gravity, dignity, in a, in a situation where they, naturally speaking, have no right to do. Um, how is that accomplished? How can you have such dignity, such a character, such a, I hate to say it, spiritual je ne sais quoi? How can you carry something like that with such crummy and unenviable circumstances as we might have from time to time? How can you carry yourself so dignified? And that's the point of our lesson this morning. The child of God who finds tranquility within, who finds tranquility inside in the new man and the new creation, the provision and the teaching and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Lord, the one who finds tranquility within despite the outward circumstances and the chaos that might be present, they find dignity in the Lord. They find a capability of walking tall, as it were, of standing in some measure of gravity and seriousness, keeping a behavior that, well, it commands respect, even if those aren't willing to respect him. We have examples of this in Scripture, but I'll give you one before we start closing up here this morning. Turn to Joshua chapter 2. I hate to bring up, ah, well, the circumstances surrounding this woman Rahab's life, but I will this morning. You remember Rahab, almost everywhere in Scripture, if not everywhere, referred to as Rahab the harlot. And you understand what that is. Lots of people have made excuse for that. Lots of people have tried to sugarcoat what her position was. But as I always say, she was what she was. There is no sugarcoating it. It simply is what it is. And what she was was an undignified in an undignified position. That lifestyle, what she stood for, it's undignified, certainly, spiritually. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Um, she was disreputable, you would say. She was not, well, she was the proprietor of an establishment that I would trust that not a soul here would partake in, would not even enter into. There are certain places where God's people aren't even called to be, uh, called to, um, it's just not part of our makeup. It's not part of who we are. Now, the Lord leads and he can direct and he can say, you go here for this situation, but you'd better get it right in certain places, certain applications. You better have the mind of the Lord. She was disreputable. And yet, when Joshua's spies came to her city, and when the enemies of God, they're well protected behind those walls of Jericho, 
When she could have stayed with the status quo, she could have said, I'm behind these walls, I'm with them. I've heard the stories that have come, but this is where safety is, this is where safekeeping is, this is where my business is, this is where my family is. When, when, well, she she could have just stayed with where she was and who she was, and yet she didn't. Uh, she hid the spies, we understand. She sent the authorities on their way when they were looking for them, and she made a deal. They're down in uh, verse 11, picking up in the second half, when she was speaking to the spies there, second half of verse 11 of Joshua 2, when she told them, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my Father's house. And give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Despite the disreputable position she held, despite that sin that she was a part of, she carried herself here with a certain dignity, I think. I think that she carried herself with a measure of, well, some, some not misplaced confidence. She stood there and she asked these ones, I want a token. I know who God is. I've heard who He is. I've believed who He is. I want protection from all of this. And when you come in and you wreck all of this, I want protection. It wasn't arrogance. It was faith and it was trust and it was acceptance and belief that she could be accepted and that she could be protected. And there's dignity in asking for that. And Rahab had peace in that. She had peace in believing that. She had peace in taking that position. She had peace in hiding them, knowing that the authorities were coming, sending them on their way, knowing that she had lied to them and misguided them, knowing that these ones, well, for all intents and purposes, were in a dangerous place and might not make it out of there. She had peace in all of this. And in asking these ones, these spies, to to save her from the relative safety that she was in, from the no she was this place was going to be destroyed she had peace in asking that and standing with them how do we know hebrews 11:31 tells us by faith the harlot rahab did not perish with those that, who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace she had a measure of tranquility peace between herself and those spies in israel certainly but she had peace within herself peace in the Lord, in asking, peace in knowing that the Lord was good for it, that His people were going to be triumphant, and that they could shield her, protect her, and shelter her when they were. Despite her reputation, despite her standing, despite her condition, even leave the sin aside of it, despite her being a person of Jericho, she had peace in asking these ones to accept her and protect her. And so in that dignity, in that reverence she held for the God that she'd heard of, she asked for that. In that dignity and reverence she received that. And in that dignity and reverence she dwelled in Israel after she was delivered. She dwelled there among them. We read about it in the last verse of uh, Joshua chapter 6 or near the end of Joshua 6 when it says, Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. And so she dwells in Israel this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho and if you read the history of Rahab I believe she married Salmon didn't she and Salmon begat Boaz Boaz begat Obed Obed begat Jesse Jesse begat David and so on and so forth she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus himself this one 
who had peace despite her condition, despite her situation, she stood with dignity in believing that she could be accepted, could be protected in the midst of the chaos that was going to take place when everything around her was going to just fall apart. Literally, those walls came down after they circled and circled and circled. She had peace in recognizing that the Lord would accept and protect her. So that being said, let me ask you, do you know that you've been accepted by the Lord? Child of God? Saved by faith? By His grace? Yes, you should know that you've been accepted. You've asked Him to be His, and you are. So do you know that you are indeed protected from the chaos that might ensue around you when a quiet life that is not promised us is not quiet? Can we know that we're well protected? Isaiah 54 verse 17 says this about the servants of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, all of these things that might impact your peace without, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. There are a number of different servants, a number of different nationalities of servants given to serve the Lord in different ways. Your service is different from those ones that he was speaking to in that moment. But we're servants nonetheless, and this is our heritage. The no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The heritage of the servants of the Lord is that we might find peace in him, that we are well kept by the Almighty God. We're the sheep of his pasture. We are his children. We are in his hand. We are surely as safe as Rahab, as accepted as she was, as protected as she was. We are his and he is ours. If you don't have that confidence, child of God, if you don't have the peace that comes from that, you can do something about that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, Paul says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, There's our word, reverent, dignified. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good reputation, virtuous, praiseworthy. All these things are given by God. And you know where these things are found? All these things are found in the word. And all these things are found in the person of the Lord Jesus himself. All things that are true, all things that are just, all things that are dignified, all things that are lovely, all of them are part of His character. Saints, if you want to find peace and tranquility within, when all tranquility without is missing, meditate on the things of God. Meditate on the things of Jesus. Meditate on who He is. Don't just know those things. Don't just accept those things. Brother David talked this morning about how he knew the things of the bride. He recognized that. He he had learned it, studied it. Intellectually, he had captured that concept, that doctrine. But when he'd meditated on that, and when he'd heard it presented in a certain way, and the Spirit came together with his understanding, and knocked on his heart and stirred his heart in the moment, gave him a, a conception of that. Gave him a complete Ah, something to be grasped at, something to be held dear. He gave him a comprehension of that. Don't just know who Jesus is. Don't just know what peace is. Don't just know what tranquility is and, and what faith is and all of these things. Don't just accept it. Don't just acknowledge those things in their existence. Understand them and meditate on those things. Chew on those things. Consider and reconsider who Jesus is. 
what he does and what it means for us. Paul goes on to give a hint in the next verse, in in verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And lest you think that he's saying, "Ah, look at me as the example. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Understand that. And then what happens when we imitate Christ and we consider who he is and we meditate on those things that comprise his character? The God of peace will be with you. Tranquility will be arising from within despite the chaos that is on the outside. Meditate on these things and have tranquility. Have peace. And with that tranquility, that comes dignity. A reverence and honoring the Lord, putting Him first and foremost. Not arrogance, not confidence, but certainly a courage and a strength. And a, a well, not a misplaced confidence, but a well-placed confidence in the Lord despite our circumstances, despite our, well, sometimes our absolute lack of any justification in feeling so or in being dignified. We find ourselves completely covered in in filth at times when we go elbows deep in things that we should not. We can come before the Lord confident that He can cleanse us. He can heal us. He can restore us. And we can have dignity in Him. Dignity in knowing Him for who He is. Finding that tranquility within even though chaos is ensuing on the outside. Saints, we were once alienated and enemies of God, now reconciled. We were once far off, now brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul tells us both of those things. He has great things awaiting us and all of his children. Certainly, we have this understanding. If you want true dignity, and we do, we want to be able to stand in faith. We want to be able to stand in strength before those ones who would push us back. We want to be able to carry ourselves with a measure of confidence and faith believing. We want to not be pushed around and just be some milquetoast welcome mat, you know, because people, well, the, because the vast majority of the ones on the outside wouldn't see things by faith in the way that we do. We want to be able to stand firm. We want to be as Joshua and Caleb were, despite the vast majority saying, we can't do this, you can't do this, there's no way, this, it doesn't matter what promises are there, this isn't for us. We are well able to go up and take the country. And Joshua and Caleb stood firm. And he turned it back. they turned it back on them saying, What are you doing? We are well able. Do you know who we are? We're children of God. And there was dignity that came from the tranquility that was within. If you want that dignity, that reverence, the nobility that comes in the Lord, that others can see and recognize, and whether they respect you or not, it commands respect, then find the tranquility that comes from within and keeping the understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is and who you are in him, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence and dignity.